Hi there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee, along with Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter for multiple decades, who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, and Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. Most of the time, we pick five of our favorite films on a theme or concept and go back and forth hashing them all out. This time is a little different, since just this last night, the Screen Actors Guild announced the winners of various awards, which of course will have some repercussions on who walks away with an Oscar in a few weeks. We spent the first half of the show chewing on how our predictions are looking in the cold light of day, and the second chunk of the show is spent on an unexpected digression into why Marvel movies work and DC movies, they don't. They don't really work. As always, you can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about and discover older episodes as well. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. Well, first of all, welcome. We have, uh, I'm Chris. We have Bruce Miller from the Sioux City Journal on the call. Say hello, Bruce. Hello. And we have Jared McNett from the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa. Hello, I am I am well caffeinated and I'm now drinking a LaCroix, so it's going to be an A-plus performance. We're getting closer. The big day is coming, but yes. you have to have all these kind of preliminary events that lead up to it. And last night was the SAG Awards. It was the SAG Awards. Uh, we have the, the SAG Awards and then the Directors Guild Awards, which are coming up uh, soon. I think the 10th, so later this week. So we'll find out some of those directors, but the Directors Guild Awards don't really have, I mean, there's pretty much just Best Director and then there's Best, you know, First Feature, I guess, and which- Producer Awards, you know, there are all those kind of craft awards that lead up to all these things. And that's what the people who actually do the same thing think. Mm. But there are also some kind of caveats and all of that. Like if you're not a member of our group, well, we may not nominate you. Yeah. So. You know, is that the same as the Oscars? No. There's a little bit of politicking there, but not nearly as much as, as far as excluding, excluding people. Um, yeah. Was, I was looking ahead at, I think the DGA, there's like an editing award or no, it was the Independent Spirit Awards, which are also coming up, but I don't think those will have nearly as much sway on any Oscar stuff. And I saw, uh, well, first of all, uh, Defy Bloods was also kind of cut out of a bunch of Independent Spirit Awards. I don't know if that was a because of the Netflix connection, maybe? I, I don't know. Uh, and also, uh, Invisible Man was nominated in one of the Independent Spirit Awards uh, editing categories, which I certainly didn't think of Invisible Man as being, I mean, it, it's a great film, don't get me wrong, but would not include that in any independent uh, categories, personally, so. Maybe it's just easier, you know? Maybe. They don't expect too much of the editing, and so they figure, well, let's throw that one in. Yeah. It could be good. Did either of you guys actually watch the the awards as they were happening, Bruce? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, come on. I'm <laughs> I'm good for this crap. I'll watch anything if you hand a trophy. At that please. point, it's you know on that point in in Easter Sunday evening. I mean, you're full of you know egg salad and and ham and whatever else the uh, the Cadbury eggs at this point. You're kind of like a beached whale and you have nothing else to do but let the water lap up on you. 
and that's the SAG Awards. I was surprised how short they were, you know, because they um, they weren't live, they weren't in a, a place giving a dinner and, and having kind of filler things. It went, it was an hour. It was very quick. And I thought that was kind of interesting, but I hope that's not what they're doing with the Oscars because I do kind of want a little more of the, the pomp and circumstance. And I missed that they didn't do enough of those kind of, I'm an actor and they tell you about their first jobs and how bad they were. This time mm -hmm. they went at resumes and they looked at um, special skills and things like that. And that's cute, but I still want to have that kind of tear jerky moment when, you know, they say I was washing floors and I had done all these kind of things. And then somebody picked me up off the gutter. And then finally I got my first job and now I'm an Oscar winner. I'm an actor. You want Chris Rock talking about how he worked at a Red Lobster. That is so it. That is what I'm looking for. The most uh, honest person last night was um, Rita Moreno, and she said, I just hope to be alive next year. I thought goal. that was a good way of kind of approaching the, the, the awards season, as they like to call it. Yeah. But there were surprises. There were surprises that we got out of this, and it could really help change the game a little bit, um, yep. particularly since the actors um, portion of the Academy is the largest group. And if they are voting in a big kind of block, they could sway the votes for a lot of categories just based on what we saw last night. Were there anything that, uh, that I mean, there's definitely a couple that are jumping out at me. I mean, let's, we can go ahead and get out the, uh, get the male actor in a leading role uh, out of the way. Bozeman won that. Uh, and I he's going to lose anything. It'd be, you'd be criminal if you took it away from him. Yeah. And that's just another check mark on on his way to getting the posthumous Oscar for Ma Rainey as well. Yeah, this um, is now it like it's it's been a little bit, but even more so now it's in the the Vegas category of like take it off the board and like there's no reason to even bet on it anymore. <laughs> it's a it's a done deal. His wife could qualify as an actor now just because she's been on so many award shows and given the speeches. Mm -hmm. You know, so there you go. But I think that's that's the sure bet. If you're gonna look for a sure bet it's Chadwick Boseman. So you can put all your money on that. And if it didn't go to him, there had to be something really surprising to, to switch the, the game. Yeah, I, I have a very, I mean, like the, the closest runner up to that, I think is maybe Riz in Sound I, of Metal. I think Riz would be the one that would be a good surprise. Now they say they like the idea that an old person like Anthony Hopkins um, is still in the hunt. But he's won one already. Yeah. I don't know that they're really needing to pay off anybody at that point. And yeah, I, I, Riz would be my only other choice that I would put in there. But, but it's still, I mean, that's a profound long shot that anyone's going to upset Bozeman for, for the Oscar for, for best, best actor. By the way, at least, again, first, first mention of uh, goldderby.com today, they really need to just like uh, sponsor us at this point. Um, the, uh, the odds for Chadwick, um, like, and he is like clearing away the, the favorite, there, he's actually not that much more of a favorite than um, Chloe Zhao is to win Best Director. They both have about the same odds and are way ahead of everybody else. So I thought it was interesting that she's almost as much of a lock as he is. And obviously totally different circumstances, but they're both in that same like really strong like position at this point. Yeah, scrolling through the, the gold derby odds right now, they list the, the top choice as in how many people have picked something as their top choice. And I mean, it really 
looking at some of these, it seems like it's just going to be a blowout. Um, at least as things stand right now, the biggest shift I think is maybe best actress. That was a good surprise. I think, I think this says something to us about promising young woman. Um, because after the golden globes, Oh, it was like, that's going to win best picture. And it hasn't done that well in subsequent competitions. And so I don't think it's a Carrie Mulligan to lose. I think it's a, if Carrie Mulligan wins, it's because she's done a lot of campaigning for it. Um, and I do think they like Viola Davis and it would be kind of fun to see the one-two punch of Chadwick and Viola winning those awards. Um, Which so is how I think it panned this, out at the, at the Screen Actors Guild was yeah, and Viola I Davis gives, winning Best Actress. I think this gives her new life. I think it's a good thing for her. And um, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I, I, I've said this before, I had problems with the ending of A Promising Young Woman. And I don't know that the older people of the Academy are gonna go along with you know, this kind of really out there conclusion to this very fun kind of um, intriguing mystery that kind of unfolds. But I think she's got other characters in her that would be maybe better in a future win. So I, if she doesn't win, it doesn't matter. But with Viola Davis, you're unpacking a lot of stuff there. She has the most nominations of a black actress um, in Academy history. She has never won best actress. It would be a great kind of thing to have her get both a uh, best actress and a best supporting actress uh, awards. And I, I'm all on, I'm on board for that because I loved her in that film. Um, I maybe would have put her in the supporting category um, for a better shot at it, but hey, that's happened before too, you know, you never know. And I think she can win it. I really think she can win it at this point. I don't know if any of the other ones have the clout. I think Frances McDormand, because she pulled herself kind of out of that competition, could win by winning uh, Best Picture. She's a, a producer of that, and that would give her another trophy if you want to do that. Yeah. Um, and when I watched it again over the weekend, and I realized that she isn't very showy in the film. She's the glue, but she's not showy. And I think that's where they're looking for something kind of different. Viola is showy, and so is Carrie. But beyond yeah, yeah. that, and I mean, you even look just not even at like the acting performances that get nominated every year, but like the highlights they choose, like at the award shows, they're never really subtle performances that get highlighted. It's always, yeah, to, to the rafters kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one that I think we have talked about in the past as being a bit of a lock, which seems like Promising Young Woman has made a huge leap upwards with that, at least according to Gold Derby and what they're you know keeping tabs on, is Promising Young Woman for best original screenplay. Right now, it is about neck and neck with the trial of, of the Chicago Seven, which, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we've, I know, the anti-hero <laughs> in your life being Aaron hey, Sorkin. Uh, promising Young Woman is surging, a hero rises. There we go. <laughs> to yeah. take down the trial of the Chicago Seven. <laughs> the Phoenix is coming up from the ashes here. Yes. Uh, in the form of Promising Young Woman, which I'm sure that you're, you're putting all of your, your eggs in that basket. So, <laughs> Trial of the Chicago Seven, sorry, Jared, got best uh, cast. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is there were only two films that are nominated for best picture in the Oscar categories that were even in the SAG cast, you know, what, what's equal to their best picture. Right. Um, 
And so I think that it doesn't, I don't think it has a chance at best picture, but I do think it could get best screenplay. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with the, with the outstanding performance by a cast is that, I mean, Trial of the Chicago 7 was what won at the Screen Actors Guild last night. Um, but I mean, that's partly because there isn't really any lead in that. Same thing with The Five Bloods. Uh, whereas Ma Rainey's at- Black Bottom, which was also nominated, I mean, you've got, her name is right there in the title. Um, it just feels like The Five Bloods and, and The sh- Trial of, of the Chicago 7, when it comes to the Screen Actors Guild, I think are... Uh, the closest to to the spirit of the having a cast, you know, yeah. it's all working together and everyone's kind of on, on the same footing. And it's a who's who of a cast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other okay. ones are one-offs. Like Nomadland didn't get nominated because it's just one person. She got nominated. The rest of them are kind of real people. Promising Young Woman, basically a one-woman show with a lot of kind of cameos. Um, so those aren't going to win, and they already have the two big ones from Ma Rainey in the acting categories, you know, so they wouldn't win the thing. Minari kind of had a shot at best uh, ensemble cast because um, they were all good, and it was all kind of a very much a parasite kind of situation where you go, mm, yeah, that's good, but I think because they had done that last year, they weren't going to go in that same direction this year. And like I say, when you have a who's who of actors, like there are in Trial of the Chicago 7, it's a Mm no-brainer. They all could win individual ones at any given time. Yeah. So to kind of bring it back a little bit to when we were talking about Best Actress, um, I mean, it definitely, that's the one where I think we were including Frances McDormand early on in the, the Nomadland sweep. And it seems like, in the, the weeks and, you know, month or however, since we started really keeping tabs on this, that Frances McDormand, like you were saying, Bruce has kind of taken herself out of it. And with Viola Davis winning the SAG Award, Andrea Day winning the Golden Globe, and Carrie Mulligan and Promising Young Woman kind of becoming much more forefronted in the general awards conversation, it seems like that's a three-way split there. Uh, with, you know, McDormand, I mean, and poor, you know, Vanessa Kirby <laughs> down at the bottom, which her performance in Pieces of a Woman was incredible, but it's just not getting the traction to to jump up there uh, with, uh, you know, Andrew Day, Viola Davis, Carrie Mulligan. Um, but yeah, it seems like that's the one that is going to be maybe the most contested for the Oscars, at least. Well, and then you go, all right, let's go back to supporting actress because, you know, we've heard the Borat um, star, mm, she could win it, she could be the one. Then we heard Amanda Seyfried is going to be the one. Oh, she's a young comer. She's different. Then we had Glenn Close. Come on, she's old. She needs to get one. She hasn't got one yet. And then who's the one who's kind of now taking all the spotlight? Grandma. And I want grandma to win. I hope she does win. And she was so generous to the people last night when she was uh, accepting the award. She mentioned Glenn and Glenn was cheering for her. You know, she mentioned all the ones around her. Good. It would be a great, great opening for um, an actress who I thought delivered. She she was the heart and soul of, of Minari. And I think she really deserves it. So if she wins, I'm good with it. Yeah. 
mean, it really is a shame that Hillbilly Elegy was just, I mean, just a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it had been, I mean, better. it's it's completely hamstrung Glenn Close's. I mean, the fact that Glenn Close is on the nominee list in the first place is a, a testament to the the Oscars wanting to recognize her so badly, and. It's, it's almost, for some reason, what I think about it in, like, comparison to is, like, a really good player on, on a team, like, gets hurt, and then, like, the team just completely falls apart the next year. And in the past, I've almost thought that should be a reason for that person to get MVP, even though they're, like, injured, just because it shows how critical they are. And, like, it, it says something about how good Glenn Close is that, like, she managed to get nominated for a performance in a movie that, as a movie, just got completely ripped to shreds, like, from start to finish. Yeah. Also, I'm sure that of of those movies, I mean, Hillbilly Elegy is probably the most widely seen of of the ones oh, that yeah. on there. Absolutely. Um, for, you know, supporting actress. So, however much <laughs> that's going to play a role. But, yeah, I think... She's working on a film right now that'll get her another shot at it. So I don't think she's out of the field and they have to give her a lifetime achievement one. And she also has Sunset Boulevard in her back pocket that she's going to do as a a musical film. She's got the right, she's got the backing. It's just a matter of, I think, things opening up big enough where she can do it on a lot, do a whole big thing with it. Um, And if nothing else, I'll give it to her for that. So she's not... I think even she realizes it because she seems very generous. The last time she was kind of a lock to win for the wife, um, she f- seemed kind of stunned that she didn't win. And it was to Olivia Coleman. And she's also uh, in the in the hunt for this one. And she's here again. And you think, oh, come on, Olivia, are you always gonna be a spoiler? Come on. But I think the father is is kind of out of it now. I think the father is not a contender in any of those races. I think it's it's done. And I still think Mank is dead, too. <laughs> I, I see Mank winning a lot of technical things, and that's it. I yep. don't think it's going to be a player in any of the acting categories. Um, you know, and can I bring up something that I thought was kind of strange? Is how many British actors are in these categories? You look at them, and you it's like half of them are British. Now, what does that say about the American film industry? Well, it's one of the things that it says is that it's a lot of people that aren't going to be able to make it to the Oscars ceremony proper because they're uh, they're only <laughs> like handing out awards in person, right? They're yeah. changing their tune on that. They are going to do some streaming things. Okay, I'm but I guess it's like what two o'clock in the morning or whatever that you got to get up to go and see if you want an Oscar. Yeah, just so we can make sure that we uh, you know give Daniel Kaluuya a a functional computer this time so we can hear him win best supporting actor at the Oscars. Did you see him on Saturday night live? I thought he, that was one of the best things he could do to help pitch his case for best supporting actor because he showed he was versatile. He showed that he had a lot of um, likability, if you will. And I think that those things play really well with the people. And if they say, yeah, he did a good, good job. Now Carrie Mulligan is next week on Saturday night live. And if she shows a little something there too, it could help her chances against Viola Davis. But I think now yeah. Daniel has moved ahead of Lakeith. I don't think he has a uh, has to worry about his own co-star. Yeah, and it also the seems SNL like SNL primary. Is... <laughs> yeah, everyone's trying to coast on that that 
Trump magic from yeah, the, <laughs> the the all important SNL primary and caucus. Yeah, yeah, get that Lauren Michaels bump. Yeah, it is interesting, um, Bruce. You mentioned uh, Lakeith versus uh, Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, with the two of them kind of, I mean, co co leads of that film, and both getting the supporting actor nominations. But Kaluuya clearly having the definitive edge and i don't know if that's lakeith just kind of being indifferent to the awards in general maybe or just knowing that you know kaluuya is the one who's who is worth you know them putting all the energy behind and promoting because i mean obviously i mean lakeith would be an amazing snl host and yet kaluuya is the one who's getting that that spot Although he, Lakeith Stanfield would be an amazing host or like an amazing like award uh, speech, uh, acceptance speech giver um, because of like the unpredictability. And I feel like because of that part, he's probably not going to win anything or be a host of SNL anytime soon. Because the thing that would make him interesting is also the thing that I think people would want to avoid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in that category, you know, someone's talked about... um, uh, Sasha Cap Baron Cohen coming up from behind and being the winner, you know, because the vote is split. And who could be the one that would benefit from that split vote? Well, you know, I still think that I, I love Leslie Odom, Odom Jr. in uh, One Night in Miami, but I think they've kind of figured hmm, he's got that best song nomination. So I don't need to be that strong for him. Um, and I think the the Sound of Metal guy, I think he's out of it. Yeah. Although uh, Paul Rocky, uh, according to, I think, uh, the Gold Derby's Independent Spirit Award odds, Paul Rocky is way out in front as Best Supporting Actor at the Independent Spirit Awards. So he'll, you know, it seems like end up with that in his back pocket going forward. Those are great consolation prizes because they happen the Saturday before the Oscars. And... um, you sit in a tent, you know, it is what it is. And I think that's kind of how those relationships that Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao had, where they met at an event where they were both uh, enamored with each other's work, but it was a future deal that they were able to make. So I think that's the benefit of of independent spirit. And hey, come on, we've seen other ones where you thought, oh, I didn't even realize they were in a movie and they win. Yeah, the Judy Garland effect. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I think it's just going to end up giving, yeah, Paul Rocky's agent is going to have a little more, little more leverage when it comes to negotiating things in the next year or two. And that's, yeah, that's going to be the biggest upshot for him. Any huge shakeups as far as uh, our expectations for Nomadland in general? I mean, no, no, no. In the no. phrase, you know, sweep, it no. seems like things are shaking up a little bit further down the line, but Chloe's out for directors seems still pretty much done adapted screenplay done i think it's not going to win a lot Mm -hmm. i think it'll win four maybe at most um you know i and looking at the cinematography for that because i thought oh it'll win that it'll win that and watching it a second time it seemed a little like it could have used a little more light and i think that's where mank could come in mank could be a big cinematography winner because it's so specialized 
to try and recreate this look from the 30s. I think that has a better shot than this, but the vistas are great. When she yeah. shows the sun's rise and all that kind of stuff in, in Arizona and wherever, it looks good. But yeah. I don't know that they're gonna go that far. And she's nominated for editing. Will they give her four? I don't think they'll give her four. Yeah, I I just don't know if we're gonna get back to a time again any anytime soon where like a movie wins like ten awards, ten or eleven awards, including like director and stuff like that. It seems like stuff now either wins like a couple of the you know big like non technical ones, like it, it'll win like best picture screenplay director and maybe one other thing and then something will take a lot of the technical awards what was it like lord of the rings return of the king was the last one that just like swept a bunch of technical stuff and then also won the the top prizes too right that doesn't really happen that somebody gets double digit award wins anymore spotlight yeah. got two moonlight got three yeah just puny yeah. yeah, and it's also with Return of the King, there's a, a larger narrative there where they're awarding that entire trilogy, not just that yeah. one film. Yeah, and it, there's not much that's really going to, I mean, I've, you know, as the Oscars are airing, you know, you'll have supporting actor or supporting actress that gets the first thing. And based on who we're predicting with Kaluuya and uh, Yoo Jung Yun from Minari as the most likely winners, that's not really going to tip off anything down the line. Like, like you can't, you know, sometimes there's been an upset in either of those categories early on and you see a change in, in the wind of how things are going to shake out as it goes. Sasha Baron Cohen wins Best Supporting Actor. That would be <laughs> a, a surprise, right? Yeah. And then you follow up with a couple of those other ones and then you give it screenplay and suddenly it has momentum. And you're thinking, yeah, but it didn't have director nominations. Neither did Argo, and Argo still won. So you could see Trial of the Chicago 7 winning, but I still don't think it's going to happen. No, I mean, the, the only one that's like giving it a run for the money as far as best picture is Minari. But I mean, it's also, I mean, Promising Young Woman is, is on a real upward swing right now. I know, Bruce, you're you know, saying, I mean, there's definitely issues with uh, the tone shift towards the end, but by the time that the Oscars, you know, nominations are due, it will be out on streaming widely and not just for, you know, a $20 rental or a $25 Blu-ray or whatever. Um, and so a lot more people will have seen it. Um, you know, Carrie Mulligan will have hosted SNL. I mean, it's, uh, it, it, the, the conversation could swing and bump that one up a little bit more. Um, yeah. So it seems like, yeah, Best Actress is, is the most, is the one I have the hardest time really calling right now. It's Best Hopes are Carrie winning Best um, Actress and Emerald winning Best Screenplay. I think that's as good as it can get because I don't think they're going to go, it isn't an Oscar movie. It isn't a Best Picture film when you look at it. Um, it's like a it really good Fantastic Fest movie. It's, it's a fun, I mean, I, I don't mean to see fun because it's, it's a revenge film is what it amounts to, but Fatal Attraction never won Best Picture. And um, it's very similar. And I think when you look back, those are kind of popcorn movies, if you will, they're not, they don't have the heft. And with Oscar, you need to have the heft. It's gotta be something that's gonna stand up 10 years from now where you go, yeah, kind of boring, but yeah, it's an Oscar film. 
And I think that's what you're going to see with Nomadland. I think it, it befits the times. It's what we're doing now. It shows what happens to people who don't have money because they've been screwed out of a pension by their company. It bespeaks what we've been going through. And I think it says so much about the times that they want to have that in there. And so I think Nomadland, best picture, best director, and then it's anyone's guess beyond that. I think I'll throw this to you guys. One of the things, I mean, obviously in real life, ripped from the headlines, you know, in, in Alabama right now, there is the big union drive at the Amazon warehouse. And the way Amazon is portrayed in Nomadland is very, uh, I mean, very rosy, I would say. No one in that movie is, you know, peeing in bottles, none of that kind of stuff. And I haven't heard about any questions being lobbed, you know, at, at anyone involved with the film. I don't know if any, with anyone involved with Nomadland about the concessions they may be made. I mean, there's, it, it wouldn't be a big deal to me unless the fact that it just is Amazon and it plays such a huge role in the film. Um, but the portrayal of Amazon in there is just so starkly different from what we're being told is the reality of it. It, um, it doesn't lean into those things. It doesn't talk mm -hmm. about employment, but it does show that in some cases it's temporary employment. And so it isn't like she's working on a, a career that is going to go on forever. It's just a way to make ends meet for that period of her time. So I think because it doesn't come out and say, oh my God, I love working at Amazon and I'm going to leave it if I just if I just go on my trip in my van, um, it's just kind of a stopgap. And the people who work there are resigned to working there. They're not happy about working there. So I think that's where it, they're okay with not coming out against Amazon, but it does prompt a discussion, a bigger discussion than maybe is on, uh, on the table. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and, and, and for what it's worth, there was, because I was, I was trying to find uh, I, uh, if there was anything written about that. There was a Vulture article from uh, February that talks about uh, what Nomadland gets wrong about uh, gig labor and gets into a little bit this idea of like, no, these are just like great jobs for, you know, people to have like a, a life raft or whatever, when a lot of times people will take on those jobs and then just get stuck in them because that's the way that can yeah. play out a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely. I, I just... It's, it's been interesting, you know, for Nomadland to be such a huge movie and for there to be such a huge potential sea change in the way that Amazon does business in America that is, mm -hmm. you know, on the table right now as we're having this conversation. That yeah, at the same time. There's been so few examples of, the, of that, you know, discussion entering in. And I, I'm not necessarily accusing Nomadland of being any, you know, pro or anti Amazon uh, propaganda or anything. Yeah. Um, it just seems like it's an interesting conversation that in the film is very downplayed of this, you know, gig worker aspect of it is just a part of our life now as consumers in this, you know, post peak capital, <laughs> um, you know, post capitalism, whatever uh, landscape, Western industrialized all the the isms and the whatever yeah i think yeah. it says a lot about how people can't afford to retire and it says a lot about our country are we taking care of our older people are we doing something for them to make sure that they're not just existing you know and i, I love the, well, the thought that you know here we can maybe change our own narrative 
but I really don't want to live in a van. Well, yeah, and that's that's something, honestly, I've even thought about sometimes with, like, uh, our industry of uh, journalism. Every so often you'll see those, like, stories that are pitched as, like, nice feel-good things of, like, someone that's in, like, their late 70s and has worked for, like, the same, like, McDonald's or something like that for, like, 50 years, and that's pitched as, like, a this just great and really happy thing, and it's, like, it's probably not great that somebody's still in their 70s and feeling like they have to absolutely work just to have some sense of enjoyment, but yeah, <laughs> I yeah there's definitely some of those, you know, stories where it's uh, like, what is it like entire community like pulls together to buy someone a car so they don't have to yeah. walk five miles to and from work. And exactly reality, like what you're basically saying is like, oh man, this tumor's in the shape of a smiley face. Like it's the, <laughs> you know, like there's like, yeah. kind of like, a, like barely addressing, you know, the symptoms when there is this much Mm -hmm. deeper you know rot uh that is not being addressed in he has no health insurance yeah but we're yeah. giving him a car yeah exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah i think it, and it's it'll have great political speeches uh attached to this movie if if they do win you know they're going to discuss the idea about how an older person can barely afford to you know live much less enjoy those retirement years if they have to pay their own medical bills, which are exorbitant. They can't afford their medicine and they have to make a decision on that. They have to live out of a van and then travel around the country hoping to get piecemeal work just to keep alive. Yeah. And I think it's, can't you hear Frances McDormand talking about this? She's gonna be up there if, she, if it wins Best Picture. She will be speaking. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the last like time that she really jumped up on that soapbox with her Oscar win a couple of years ago was, I mean, was all about unions as well, right? I mean, it was it was the the Me Too was you know of uh, income equality for that. Yeah, and she had Meryl Streep standing up and cheering her. Um, yeah, and and she followed her own track. She got behind a film. She produced a film. She's putting into practice what she was saying. And so it's nice to see, I, I, again, on so many levels, Nomadland can't lose because it just, it checks so many boxes. Now, I, and I'll be surprised if it happens, you know, but we'll see. Yeah, can't lose. And even if it does end up losing, the the cause that that's behind the movie will be forefronted in the discussions about it. Just like you were saying, Bruce, and listing all of the, you know, the ideas of unions, the idea of, financial security as people age and yeah i mean i know all of us are from you know different i guess generations depending on uh how how you want to define greatest us. generation here i am <laughs> i'm from the, 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 the pretty good generation i guess i'm like <laughs> yeah yeah i'm actually from the uh i'm from the silent generation we don't talk about it much um yeah I'm ignore it and it goes away <laughs> I'm actually 91 years old. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I think there is a feeling that um, Social Security will just carry you. And you hear these people in the, in the movie talking about how I make $300 a month on Social Security. I can't live on that. And I did not realize that people made that little on Social Security, to be honest with you. Um, I really thought that you would be able to you know, at least cover some of the basics with Social Security. And it's not true. 
And um, when they tell their stories, and these are a lot of real people telling their stories, it's a quasi-documentary. And again, that's another kind of interesting beast to kind of approach about the film. So who knows? Who knows? But I do think it, it does what they want movies to do, which is prompt discussion. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the, the real strengths of it is that it doesn't, it doesn't make any easy, clear points. It doesn't, it just says, here's this story and it's kind of open-ended in all of its implications. And, uh, you know, the politics of it are pretty passively applied, I think, uh, to, to the experience of watching it. But I mean, clearly the fact that we've had a, you know, 10 minute discussion on it when we did not plan on that at all, is, <laughs> you know, a testament to it. And yeah, I'm, Excited for, for all the good things that are in store for that film and everyone that's involved with, uh, with having made it. Have you gone back and looked at any of the films that were nominated one more time? Uh, no, I have not. I, I haven't even had time to still watch through every single thing in the big uh, categories, let alone do, uh, do rewatches, I must confess. The only one I've seen twice is Mank. Mm -hmm. um, and that one definitely... And you liked it, didn't you? I did. I really did. And it's one that you know, along the same lines of Nomadland has a lot of real substance to it. I think that is, um, I think unlike Nomadland, Mank maybe hit the nail a little too squarely on the head with some of these things, with all of the um, uh, Upton Sinclair stuff and uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's almost like maybe too much of a Hollywood insider film for, for the Oscars maybe this year giving uh, to be validating it. Cause I know Oscars obviously love movies about movies, but yeah. Yeah. That was one that I, I feel like is, is going to only win technical type awards, but is going to have the longest tail out of all of these, maybe outside of, outside of Nomadland. I mean, five years from now, is anyone going to be rewatching the trial of, of the Chicago Seven? I don't think they will be. That's, no. To me, it's like Gandhi. Gandhi was a very noble film, and it was good once, but I will never watch that twice. Yeah. And it was well made. But it's just one of those things, I've been on that journey, and I don't want to go on that journey again. Whereas yeah. some of the other things, I could go and watch it a second time. And maybe it's best not to win Best Picture because you wouldn't have the repeat viewing that you would with maybe Promising Young Woman. You might watch that several times just because you want to pick up on the nuance or kind of send a message to somebody you're watching it with. What have you guys uh, been up to as far as uh, movies or anything you've been, you've been sucking in? We had a premiere here of The Ravine. It's an independently financed um, film about um, an incident, basically it's a murder-suicide, that involved the producers. Um, they were friends of the people who were, who were killed. And um, they just felt a passion about it that they decided they were going to put their money behind telling this story. And it's interesting to hear from them how, how naive they were about the business and what it took for them to make their first film. Um, I think they're in for it now. I think they really want to do more but it's just a matter of finding the right material. But, you know, it's like people who have money who can finance these things, maybe there's an audience out there for it, who knows? But they were pleased with the result and they, um, 
they were really kind of curious about the process. They, we, they saw like a first cut and they thought it was awful. And then they said, well, we didn't realize that there were other things that needed to be done. We didn't realize that there was like music added or any kind of effects or, you know, maybe we, we trim this and pick a different scene. Maybe we do these kinds of things. And then after they had seen it a second time after it had been kind of dressed up a bit, they were very pleased with what they saw. So uh, that was a fascinating thing. And they did a premiere here with it. It has some TV actors in it that you might know. Eric Dane from, um, from uh, Grey's Anatomy. Mm -hmm. Terry Polo from Meet the Parents. Um, Leslie Uggams. So it, it's an interesting thing that it's kind of taking a market-by-market um, -market approach to um, releasing it because they're doing their own releasing too. And I, I admire that idea that you can still do it but there's no way in hell I'd put my money into something that I wasn't sure was going to happen, you know? So it was an interesting, and that's, it's called a ravine and you'll see it kind of uh, unveiling across the country. Right now it's doing things in the Midwest and then it'll go from there to other sections of the country. Faith-based film. So you can see how they travel. Nice. What have you been up to, Jared? Uh, a little bit all over the place. Uh, let's see, I, I was talking when we were getting started that I just watched uh, uh, David Lynch's Wild at Heart uh, for the first time the other day. It was one of the only Lynch movies I still haven't watched um, and was absolutely bonkers in the, the best sort of way possible and leaned way more on uh, uh, The Wizard of Oz than I was uh, <laughs> expecting it to. I will say there's a lot of Wizard of Oz references in that one. Um, and then I also watched, um, a couple days ago, uh, I watched uh, Psycho Goreman. I don't know if either one of you uh, have uh, seen that. It was a really, really lovely, like, um, like B or C grade uh, type of uh, movie about these kids that basically uh, awaken like a uh, intergalactic uh, evil that they're able to actually corral and then, then have do their uh, bidding. Um, and so it was, Really, like, the acting in it was pretty stilted at times, but the effects were, like, very splatter-heavy, which I, I appreciated. And there's always, I always am going to have an appreciation for, like, uh, B-movies that actually have a heart to them. So I, I really enjoyed that one. And that's a 2021 movie. So, yeah, Psycho Gore Man. Well, all right. I'm, yeah. I'll add that to the list. Yes. Um, yeah. I have really been enjoying the the six hour uh, QAnon documentary series that's been on HBO. Uh, I, it's called uh, Justice League Snyder Cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's what the entering the storm or something along those lines. And mm -hmm. yeah, that has been truly fascinating. It's six hours on QAnon. And if you feel like that's too much, it, it really isn't. It is, and it, it turns into some, there's so much dramatic tension that gets built up over the course of it. It feels like it was paced out really, really well across uh, the six individual hours and the characters involved are uh, ridiculous. I mean, it is, it's a truly strange thing that is, you know, at the core of things that have just been like destroying families in a way that is, uh, brand new in America, I think, on on this level. But yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating documentary. And there you go. So that's uh, yeah, that, and then slowly make, making my way through the new Adam Curtis documentary. 
uh, series as well, which people can find on YouTube if they feel so inclined. But we should yeah. we should maybe do a short bonus chat just about that because I think there'd be plenty to talk about with that uh, documentary. I'd be up for um, it. Yeah, you're talking about the yeah, documentary or the uh, the Adam Curtis one. Yeah, yeah. Gary, um, did you see the the Snyder cut? No, I ha I haven't yet. Uh, I don't have HBO. Um, Max or Plus or Plus Max or whatever the hell it is. No, I actually don't have it, so I haven't watched it yet. But I, I will at some point. I'll steal someone's password and watch it. You see play. it, Bruce? No, I have. I have no desire to see it. I had. I saw the first cut that was not Zack Snyder's, and I was suitably unimpressed. And I think three more scenes and the Joker are not enough. Yeah. The Oof. only the only one of those DC movies that I've seen and like really sat down and paid attention to recently was the Suicide Squad. And man, yeah, everything is just wrong with that. Yeah, just every, everything about it. So I'm, I'm not gonna, I mean, I, I feel like I, I could spend 45 minutes just discussing all the ways that that film failed and yeah, DC versus Marvel is, it's not even close. <laughs> and it seems like it's just, you know, coming down from just a, a production, you know, executive producer level. I mean, DC just needs a Paul F or a, a Kevin Feige, but. Well, I, I will say two, two things. I actually do appreciate that just DC is just throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what actually sticks. They're like, yeah, we'll do five different Batman movies. We'll do like, you know, Joker movies with different Jokers. Um, and we'll do uh, we'll do a we'll do a Snyder cut after doing a, a different version of this movie. And uh, I think it is appropriate a little bit to think about the the, the QAnon documentary and then also the the Snyder cut thing because in some ways there is a similarity of like some of the QAnon people like manifesting something out of whole cloth into reality. And that's what happened with the Snyder cut. Just a bunch of people online like pushing and pushing and pushing for something to happen, and then they got their movies. So they. He made it work. Yep. And they're really determined to say that it really is better. Yeah. That, that, well, that is pretty funny to me. Like, because at that point, you're just grading, like, different versions of, I don't know, like, you know, McDonald's or fast food. You're just, like, reviewing different types of fast food to see which you like better. But how long can DC keep picking at these same old things. The one thing about Marvel is they're they're finding new characters to bring out there. Mm -hmm. And there gotta be other DC characters that are kind of lurking. And it's always Batman and Superman. I'm tired of those two. Really. And yeah. Wonder Woman could be good, but they want to make it a big bloated thing. You know, why can't Wonder Woman be kind of indie? That would be really cool. Mm -hmm. Well that's I mean like the indie version of that is what we got with joker yeah which i mean i you know for whatever it's flaws you know i mean and you know i'll say this about it i guess i mean it had a vision it had a coherent approach to the character and you know thought through exactly what they were going to do with it from beginning to middle to end and none of the others really seem to quite grasp that tone of what they're dealing with and how to actually, you know, push it through. And with, I mean, Suicide Squad, which I, you know, watched recently, that's one where the tone is off to begin with. And you had so many, you know, big egos that were involved with it 
pushing things around as far as like what Will Smith was willing to do, what he wasn't willing to do, and you know how much of a bad guy can Will Smith be? <laughs> well, yeah. and then and then now the second Suicide Squad movie, they're just doing Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy, but with Suicide Squad. Yeah. So, but that's another thing with the DC universe where they have to keep doing these weird reboots, whereas Marvel ever since you know iron man and you know the new kevin feige whatever thing there hasn't been any any reboots of of anything once stuff comes into the official mcu it's it's in there you know and and everything fits there's not a master plan with dc at least that i can tell no they are constantly going back to batman having his parents killed on the streets by some thug and I'm so tired of seeing that story. I don't care. I want Batman to be kind of in league with the Joker or do something really weird. And I'm tired of Superman always being noble and trying to act like he doesn't know what he's doing at a newspaper office. Yeah. Um, you know, this newest one where it's Superman and Lois. Oh, please. He's a father of teenagers. Yeah, right. If you if you actually listen to the end of every one of the episodes of our podcast, you can as uh, a nice little like nugget, you can hear uh, Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed again. That's how every episode ends. It's just audio of them being shot in an alley for the millionth time. And you know, really, I love Batman. Batman was my my. I do too. He was my entry level kind of superhero when I was a kid, and. Yeah. I thought he could do no wrong. And now I see that he can because we've seen too much of him and everybody can't play Batman. No. Well, I mean, like with the, not to just wade even further down this, uh, you know, aside that we've, that we've gone on, but Marvel with their movies has managed to weave in all of the crazy stories from Marvel's universe of the comics and make it work. Even the idea of Thanos snapping away half of you know the Earth's population and then bringing them back, which is something that happened in the '90s or you know something along those lines in the comic books, um, it is made the centerpiece and is built up to in such an elegant way by comparison. Whereas the number of great DC stories, and there are a lot of them. Like they're just, they're not focusing on any one of them. The idea of a, you know, Superman for all seasons being adapted into a film or something would be amazing. Or, you know, do some some crazy, you know, Batman Elseworlds tales or something. I mean, there's so many, you know, incredible ways that they could repackage this IP and they're doing it in such a scattershot way with yeah, and, no and like the vision. And like the, the most, most like interesting stuff, at least in terms of like, you know, the millions of different Batman and Superman stories that they're doing, they are doing some of those, but they're only doing them as like animated stuff. Like one of the more like intriguing, like premises of a Superman comic is one called Red Sun, where instead of landing in Kansas, he lands in the Soviet Union. And so basically it just becomes a weapon of the Soviet Union instead of the US. They made that, but they made it as like an animated thing that was mostly just on their streaming service they didn't decide to like take something super interesting and make it into a live action thing. So they're too protective of their, of their core characters. Yeah. Yeah. And they really need to kind of rough them up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, did you, when did you guys notice that the, the Marvel films connected? I mean, for me, it was late uh, because I saw that first Iron Man and I thought, "Mm, this looks kind of cheap. They're using kind of cheap effects. And, you know, they had, um, uh, what's his name directing? And I thought, oh, they're kind of just tossing him a bone. 
And then it started to kind of gel and it, it went, oh, wait a minute, there's something more here at play. That never was revealed. And it was just kind of one of those things that evolved and you go, oh my God, I should be watching for something else from another movie that could put that in. There's never been anything like that with the DC kids, not at all. I think for me, identifying, like once they started really investing in the future of it and laying that was when I, th- I want to say it was at the end of the first Avengers, or maybe the second event. I can't remember okay. if it was, but it was when they did the first Thanos as like, 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 like a second or third stinger in one of the, one of the credit sequences. And, and it, before they even had Josh Brolin cast, I think. So it was just this very generic uh, silhouette. Yeah. Um, that was when I was like, they're clearly building something. And then there was also, I think it was at the end of Winter Soldier, maybe, that you had the Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch reveal. Um, and yeah, I mean, like they've, they've, they've done all of their track laying and future investing stuff in those, uh, the, the stingers, the credit sequences. And that's where mm-hmm. you can kind of see, oh, this is the next direction that we're going with this whole uh, crazy, <laughs> you know, series of, of interconnected universes, universi. Yeah. Um, yeah. It gives you credit for, for knowing something. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't spoil the idea of having fun at the event, but if you know something about the event, it makes you a little more um, savvy in terms of a consumer. Whereas like DC, again, they just go over and over and over and over the same old stuff and they're not worried about planting anything. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, and that's one of the, like the, the, the new uh, Spider-Man movies that with, uh, you know, Tom Holland, uh, where they just, they don't even include any kind of origin story. It's just, here's Spider-Man. We're not going to have him at the lab getting bitten by the spider. It's just, because you know we saw this guy that. Look at how many times they did that. They did it with Tobey Maguire. They did it with Andrew Garfield. And you think, oh, if I see this one more time and we got to go on this school trip and he discovers his things and, ugh, oh, yuck. You know, what if you put Batman in Nomadland and suddenly he was in a, uh, van driving around that might be interesting you know batman's lost it all and now he's trying to pull it back or yeah. or i mean or, or even i mean to kind of elaborate on that idea have you know something where bruce wayne is having to deal with labor disputes um you know where further down in his guy. industry yeah i mean i mean if i mean bruce wayne you know when he started you know back in the 30s or whatever you know was modeled on the, the JP Morgans, the, you know, whatever, the, the DuPonts, all, all the, you know, th- those kind of, you know, multi-millionaires of, of the time. And now it's, oh, he would be Elon Musk or, you know, Jeff Bezos. And I mean, wh- where's the, <laughs> now I'm thinking of like the, the sequence where someone is, you know, blackmailing Bruce Wayne with, you know, <laughs> illicit photos. <laughs> yeah. Um, and having to confront that. What if you did Jimmy Olsen as Mank, where, you know, he's kind of on the fringes, but he's really the brains behind everything. And here are Lois and, and Clark getting all the attention. Might be something there. Well, I mean, there's, there's so many incredible stories that they could be plumbing from the comics. I've been recently reading, well, first of all, uh, Superman's pal, 
Jimmy Olsen is was a comic way back when and was revived recently and made like a bunch of like top comics of 2020 list uh, last year. But I've been going through and reading uh, some old like She-Hulk comics from the early 2000s where she was a lawyer for a law firm that represents superheroes. And so you've got them having to deal with the legal ramifications of like, can a ghost testify against whatever, you know, that a ghost that's, you know, assisted through Dr. Strange. I mean, it's all, all of these really interesting, bigger questions, but they're handled with just the right tone to make it sit appropriately uh, in, in the context. And these are things, I mean, you could totally see a She-Hulk, uh, you know, law and order type show, you know, being adapted or something along those lines. But I'll throw you um, one more. What if we did the trial of the Gotham Seven? <laughs> the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler. You had them all there sitting, and they're all kind of. Well, no, it would be it would it would be the um you know, the the trial of of the Sinister Six, you know, you with so you get you know Spider Man's Rogues Gallery all in one in one place or or something along those lines. Yeah, I well, mean, there are so many interesting things that you could do with this that would be low investment financially, but still fit within that. And I think we're going to see that with Scarlet Witch was kind of like that. Uh, WandaVision, I, I should say. And yeah, so we'll see how Disney ends up going down that route. I think, Jared, you were about to say something. I'm sorry. I was going to say, um, with some of the ones we're talking about, um, there is, uh, too, especially that last thing you were saying about, you know, possibilities. With like Batman, uh, you know, we're talking about Trial of Chicago 7, there is one where like all of his villains are in a room together and it's because Batman has basically died and they're all paying their respects to him. You can do that as like a pretty low stakes, like it wouldn't even cost that much to make as a movie and you could totally, it could be similar to like the Joker or something like that and I mean that went over so well, so there you go. Don't cast those big expensive talents. Use some of these people that don't get attention. Yeah. Look at it as a characters. Let them see what they can do. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm thinking, I mean, one of the best Batman the Animated Show episodes was that uh, Almost Got Him, where it's all of a bunch of Batman villains, like sitting around a table going over all the times they almost got him. Um, I mean, there's so many great one-off stories that would, you know, fit that. Yeah. Anyway, this is, uh, we're, we're just giving free ideas to Disney at this point. Right. Yep. If, if they want to pay us, just know we had it here first. I think this is a proprietary conversation that gives <laughs> us the right to sue them at some point if they do steal Absolutely. Our yep. And we're right. hoping that they can just make us a better offer than, than uh, Gold Derby, who is obviously going to be Oscars. reaching out That's to our lawyers care. anytime. Right. <laughs> I'm, I am viable. <laughs> Same. Same. Doesn't take much. No. Well, we can let Jared take us out on our, uh, our signature catchphrase. Yeah, um, look, you know, you're watching a lot of different stuff right now. I, I talked about some C movie with uh, a lot of splatter. Talked a lot about uh, some like DC stuff and some of, the, some of the DC stuff is trash. We all know that. Um, so avoid some of the DC stuff and instead uh, see something good. That's right, go see something good. So that is the episode. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself as well if you want. Next time you hear from us, we will be factoring in winners and losers from the Directors Guild Awards and taking a last look at our personal Oscar expectations. 
So make sure that you're subscribed to the show on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thank you so much for listening.